Hey everybody, it's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, March 29th, 2015. Oh, Nicholas Newman, you have been a very, very bad boy. Or so it appears uh, at this point. But let's back up and talk about uh, the unfolding of Nick's big secret throughout the week. It all started with Sharon. We had speculated last week that Sharon uh, obviously must have given an interview with Austin for his documentary in which she blasted every single person in the Newman family including Nick. <laughs> but we're all wondering, what could she have said about him? They were in the middle of a custody battle at the point where Sharon is giving this uh, interview. And from the kids' point of view, the little crew of kids who are trying to, uh, un un to, try to crack this case, uh, it looks like, well, that must be Sharon's motive for murder. Clearly, Sharon must have murdered Austin in order to keep the contents of this interview from getting out. She was trying to steal the laptop. Obviously, she had something that she wanted to cover up. And Summer especially is ready to jump on Sharon and assume that she had something devious to do of it. Summer knows better than anyone what Sharon is capable of. But Noah and Mariah are both trying to defend Sharon. And even kind of as the week progressed, Noah started to doubt. He also knows that his mother has a tendency to become unstable. And so he, you could kind of see throughout the week, he wanted to defend Sharon, but he was really afraid that she might have had something to do with this, not necessarily murder, but she was covering up something. And throughout the uh, process of, of the, the gang, the Scooby-Doo gang, <laughs> uh, talking it through, I completely forgot about, they brought up, and I completely forgot about, the fact that Sharon was out in her car uh, in the snow the night of the big storm and the Valentine's Day massacre. I, that didn't even ding in, in my mind, but the theory is, what was Sharon really doing in the car? Is there any chance she was driving up to the cabin to, uh, to, to erase the data and kill Austin? And like, could Sharon have been the total culprit here? And I thought, you know, I, that's kind of a good little twist because I never really thought about it that way. I never thought about that. But uh, as the week kind of uh, moved on, it took the entire week for Kevin to crack the, uh, the, the compute, Austin's computer. But they first found an interview with uh, Austin or the pre-narrative um, uh, of Austin. And it started to come to light that maybe what Sharon was trying to hide was not something selfish. She's not trying to hide um, something she said, but maybe she was trying to protect Nick. Oh, okay. That's kind of starting to make some sense. Meanwhile, Sharon is, I think, beginning to question herself while everyone else is questioning her. She comes home and finds another lipstick message on the mirror, and it says, I know the truth, and so do you. 
Naturally, this completely freaks her out. Thank goodness Dylan was there to calm her down and assess the situation. And I'm sort of viewing things at this point through Dylan's eyes because I don't know what Sharon's capable of. The, the things that Sharon has done throughout the years, especially more recent past, have shocked me. So I don't know where this is going. But Dylan is kind of looking at her, kind of talking to her, and she's trying to justify herself, wondering, is someone doing this to me? Did someone, how could someone have gotten past the Newman Ranch security to write this message on my mirror? Is there any chance I did this myself? And I do think that she was questioning herself in that motive, but she's, you know, hashing it out with Dylan saying, well, am I conniving or am I nuts? Or am I a little bit of both? What, you know, what is going on here? Did I, you know, how much of this am I actually responsible for? And she's insisting with Dylan that she couldn't have done this. She is on her meds. She's going to her therapist. There's no way that she did any of this. And there's no way that she, she really did anything wrong. And I'm looking at Sharon and I'm believing her. I really am. I'm, I, she, I, I don't know why, but I believe her. Maybe Maybe it's just that I want to. I don't know. Dylan, I think, also really wants to believe the best of Sharon. He calls Noah and schedules a little mini meeting at the coffee house to say, you know, what's going on with your mom? This is, uh, you know, something. I mean, Dylan saw the message. Something more is going on here, and I'm worried about her. Well, Noah knows the entire story. He's he's knows just as much as any of the rest of um, the Scooby Doo gang. So he's telling Dylan that. Uh, he needs, you know, he gives him enough information, but tells him back off. Dylan is thinking, oh, Sharon's got a stalker. I need to call the police. And Noah is saying, no, no, you don't want to call the police. He reveals little pieces of information, such as that uh, Abby also received a similar message the night that she was attacked and just tells, begs Dylan not to go to the cops. Well, uh, Dylan's father is the chief of police. I don't know why Noah revealed any information to Dylan. Of course, now Dylan is involved. If Sharon's involved and there's something afoot, Dylan's going to be off on his path trying to figure it out. And he does uh, go to, uh, to to question Stitch, who's with Abby. And I'm sure we'll see a little bit more of Dylan's digging throughout the week. But as Noah goes back to the uh, Summer's apartment where the kids are gathered, uh, it, it, Kyle walks out and reveals, actually, you know what, no, Sharon didn't write the message and she's not being stalked. It was me. I wrote the message. Noah hauls off and punches him. I'm loving Noah right now. I thought it's, it's, I mean, the new Kyle has been on the scene for what, two, three weeks maybe, and he's already gotten punched, but he's going to deserve, I can tell you right now, this Kyle, this incarnation of Kyle is going to deserve every single punch he gets. <laughs> the guy is smug. Uh, I will enjoy it um, uh, on, on many different levels. But I think that is supposed to make Kyle look suspicious. I don't think it is. I think Kyle was trying to flesh out Sharon and figure out what she knew about it. And it unfortunately didn't really have any 
effect it ended up uh on on this little murder case anyway um every single week it's like somebody at the end of by the end of the week it's like somebody else did it i mean we've just made our way through genoa city uh, of, of suspects everyone is a suspect but it doesn't uh end up making sharon look guilty at the end of the day if kyle wrote the message and sharon didn't crack under this pressure then it certainly cle- clears Sharon of uh, any wrongdoing or having murdered Austin at all. But it did manage to have the effect of making Sharon look like a lunatic in front of Nick. Sharon doesn't know that Kyle wrote the message. Sharon thinks either somebody is after her for yet another secret or she's going nuts and she did it to herself. Nick comes by and she She's, can't, you know, she's trying to be involved in the conversation, but she can't stop looking at the mirror where she has successfully wiped off most of the lipstick, but there's still little bits of it on there. And there's a part of her that feels like she obsessively wants to get it off of there. She just wants to remove this. So they're talking and she has to go to the mirror and like in mid conversation, go and keep wiping. And it just makes her look obsessive, compulsive. And from Nick's perspective, she did look that. I mean, we know behind the scenes what was going on in Sharon's mind, but from Nick's perspective, she looked like a crazy person. And naturally, he thinks, okay, Sharon's off her meds. Sharon is like going crazy here. I'm not going to subject Faith to this. Faith is Nick's number one priority, so he continues to claim. And he's not going to, you know, if, if Sharon has a visitation with Faith tomorrow, it needs to be canceled. We can't, we can't expose Faith to the kind of craziness that I'm viewing right now. Well... Sharon does not take very lightly to this. She says to Nick in no uncertain terms, you are not going to take my daughter away from me. You are not going to restrict my visitation with her. And if you try to, I'm going to tell everyone how you broke that poor girl's neck. What? (laughs) Head-blowing explosion. Friday climax moment of the week, of the cu- a couple of weeks. I'm like, what? I mean, of all of the things that I th- would have thought that maybe Sharon was covering up for Nick, I thought, oh, maybe it was something that he did back when he was working for Newman Enterprises. Maybe he made a shady business deal. Never would I have thought... <laughs> that he broke some girl's neck. Now, I don't know what on earth that's going to unfold to. We saw from the previews of Monday's show, Nick confirming this. He's saying to Sharon, you would really tell everyone all about that? And I'm sure Sharon is saying, hell yes, I would. (laughs) But it's Nick confirming that what, you know, Sharon's not nuts. Whatever Sharon knows about some poor girl getting her neck broken, Nick is confirming it. Now, I cannot imagine. (laughs) I'm trying trying to figure out what this scenario could be. I cannot imagine that Nick just decided to go nuts and, you know, I'm just gonna, um, I'm just gonna go break some crazy girl's neck. Or I'm just gonna go crazy and break some girl's neck. You know who's gonna, you know who'll cover that up for me? Daddy. Don't worry. It it won't, there won't be any problem. Daddy will cover that up. Um, 
I think whatever it is, I'm assuming Nick is going to have an excuse for it. I don't, I don't know if it was somebody he was dating. I don't know what the, the exact circumstance could have been, but I'm sure whatever happened to said girl must have been some kind of horrific freak accident where Nick would have looked guilty and in order to stop that whole situation you gotta remember back in the 90s Nick went to jail for a while uh, for um, the attempt to, or for uh, uh, he got convicted of Matt Clark's murder so if we're talking back in the back in the past here uh, uh, who knows it could have even been in the, his boarding school days I don't know but um, you know Nick I don't know if maybe Victor would have been trying to cover up and help and save him from going back to jail. I don't know when in the timeline this could have occurred, but I'm guessing it was some kind of freak accident that maybe Nick looked guilty but really wasn't, um, and now it's just coming to the surface. Um, I can't imagine what else it would be. Nick doesn't strike me as a, uh, I'm just gonna break your neck kind of guy. Gosh, I do wonder, I, 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 when in the timeline would have it occurred? Would it have been around the time Nick and Sharon met each other? Would it have been before? Would it have been after? What does this say about Victor's motive with the whole thing? I don't know. I was kind of hoping for some happiness for Nick. I was not expecting that now there's this dark cloud that's going to be over him. Oh, other than the fact that he's rebuilding the underground. Why? <laughs> Why are must we rebuild the underground YNR? I must ask you. Because as soon as this week, Nick, it, it miraculously looks pretty good considering the place was a total collapse. Uh, we saw scenes of the rebuild this week. Uh, that office managed to survive and other bits and pieces of the club managed to survive and the contractors have moved everything out and they're working on rebuilding it and all I could think was, damn it. <laughs> Leave that place in the rubble, <laughs> will ya? Uh, I just, uh, the underground, it's so dark and dank and it's just not very YNR to me. I'd rather it be something a little classier. Maybe they can rebuild it as something classier. Please, YNR, give me some decor. <laughs> we don't need a bar. Um, well, the one room that did survive was the room that Nick and Sage got trapped in during the collapse, so it was only appropriate that they had their little moment this week. Uh, Sage comes to visit Nick, and it's it's really clear that this is a relationship that they both want at this point for their own reasons, but they both do want it. And I... I I'm feeling it. I, you know, I think different storylines probably speak to different people for different reasons. And for some reason, for me, I f I'm feeling the Nick and Sage. And that doesn't mean that I am not hoping that Nick and Sharon get back together in the future. But for right now, that is not going to happen. Oh, and by the way, whatever secret it is that Nick is keeping that Sharon's helping him keep, I wonder if that will help balance out when Sage is secret becomes revealed that she's that she knows that Adam was alive I don't know um I kind of wonder about how Sage is going to react when she finds out to that but for the meantime I do think that their relationship is a happy little uh, light 
in the middle of a storm. I, I don't I don't know why this this coupling speaks to me, and as far as I know, I'm the only one that feels that way, but they are in this room at the underground, and they're connecting and kind of trying to talk about uh, their, their relationship without getting too heavy, and there's this moment where they're just dancing together with absolutely no music, <laughs> which I thought was romantic, and uh, the way that Sage looks at Nick. It's as if she is looking for the meaning of her life inside of his eyes. And Nick, on the other hand, is like, I like kissing you, and I'd like to do it more. <laughs> that is a direct quote. I like kissing you, and I'd like to do it more. So Sage is like, this relationship may be everything I've ever wanted. And Nick's like, kissing. I like that. <laughs> oh, man. I, um, I still like it, though. I don't care. They both give in to the desire and have sex right there on the dirty underground floor. I, for one, thought it was pretty hot. I mean, who can resist the raw sexual power of Nick Newman? No woman. <laughs> That's the story of his entire life. Women trying to resist the Nick, but no, must give in to the passion. <laughs> I thought it was great. And of course, of course, Sharon walks in while both of them are right there basking in the afterglow. I mean, like, literally, they're laying there unclothed. Sharon walks in the door with the intent of talking to Nick about something, and it's such an obviously embarrassing moment, especially for Sage. Sage just waves. If you go back and watch that scene, Sharon busts in, and Sage realizes she's caught sleeping with Nick, and she just kind of waves and says, hi, yeah. I don't know why, but Sage has got a personality, and I like that. In fact, Sage has to walk around Sharon to get the rest of her clothes and get the heck out of Dodge. And not only that, but Sharon had to watch Nick and Sage kind of having this, their final moment. They're like, uh, we just had sex with each other and we both want to confirm that it was not a one-time thing. This is a relationship. You could tell Nick didn't want Sage to feel rushed off and Sage wanted to try to give him his privacy, but also needed reaffirming that it was not just a sexual thing because Sage is clearly, clearly, clearly looking for more. But I loved the awkwardness between Sage and Sharon. I, I feel, I feel this more than I felt Nick Avery Sharon. There was definitely some awkward moments when Nick was involved with Avery and we're seeing a lot of the faith, um, uh, kind of themes coming back in. It's a similar sort of triangle, but for some reason I feel this. I just think Sage has kind of a personality and she's not going to take anybody's crap and um, and she's a little devious herself and I just, um, just kind of liked that awkward moment, but oh, after she left, Sharon laid into Nick. Ooh, she was vicious on him and you know what? She's right. She is 100% right. Every single little move that Sharon 
Makes is under scrutiny by Nick for her fitness as a mother. And then, oh, 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 Nick has sex with a, with a married woman on the floor of his recently collapsed nightclub bar. And it's no biggie. Oh, no biggie. Oh, Sharon, I'm allowed to do whatever I'm going to do. I don't have to run by you what kind of relationships I have or what I do in my life. Oh, but what's good for the goose is not good for the gander. So I was totally, totally with Sharon in that moment. She was just like, you know what, Nick? Goodbye. You just remember this moment. You remember this moment. Mm. Fabulous. <laughs> loved it, loved it, loved it. Um... Sage goes off and has a, a meeting, or, or she runs into Adam at uh, the coffee house. And I loved, too, her reveal of telling Adam that she just slept with Nick. She really just, she, she wanted to soak in every moment of it. And it was just so coy the way she revealed it to Adam. But she also had a really good idea in that scene. She tells Adam, hey, you know what? Why don't you go and tell Chelsea that I just slept with Nick? Go! Let Chelsea believe that you. not only are we in a loveless marriage, but now I'm cheating on you. Go ahead. Reveal all. Play the victim. Chelsea will be eating it right out of your hand. Brilliant. I think it shows, I think that right there shows that Sage is just as smart as Adam is, and she also has a vested interest in getting him out of this marriage. She wants to move on. Yes, they'd like the money, and on some levels I'm surprised that Nick would even want to be with a woman who cares that much about money to marry a guy. I mean, I think that would make her suspect in his mind, but also Nick can't can't see past his you-know-what, so I, I, I don't know, but... um. Anyway, she kind of tells Adam to go do that. And now we're starting to see both Sage and Adam really actually, for the first time, working together in a real way, particularly Sage, to break up Billy and Chelsea for their own reasons. Adam's big stunt this week for getting back together with Chelsea was to arrange a, a situation where they needed to drive to a client meeting together and oh, the car stalled. <laughs> I laughed because Gary left me a voicemail and said, oh my gosh, Allie, a car. Because every single time that we see a car scene, it's always something bad or it's it's a, at the very least predictable. We, you see a car and it's like, uh-oh, you know, is, is somebody going to get in a wreck? Or It's always either a wreck or the car breaks down. So we did have that. There's no other reason that a car needs to be on the show. But Adam's plan was successful. I think afterwards he felt a little paranoid about it, uh, that maybe it didn't work, but it actually really did. Um, Chelsea and Adam are stuck in this car together, and um, there's nothing to do but wait for the tow truck company, and they begin to talk. And Adam has no problem, and in fact wants, to steer the conversation toward Adam. Chelsea's looking around, and she's, you know, they're kind of in farm country, and she's thinking about 
Kansas and the wedding that she had with Adam. And she really took this moment to reminisce about all of the wonderful things about their relationship, how they met, how they fell in love, how they got married, and the wonderful life that they were uh, working on building together. And Adam savers every moment. He can't get enough of it. You can see it in his face. Every single positive thing that Chelsea had to say about Adam, uh, Adam is, is loving it. And I will admit, I felt the connection between Chelsea and Adam um, in a very real way during this conversation. It was, it was nice to hear Chelsea talk about Adam uninhibited because she can't really do that with Billy. She always feels like Adam is there and she even admitted I feel somehow like he's you know like I'm cheating on him being with Billy and I just strangely have this sense that he's always with me and even though she's having these feelings about Adam it's something that she can't confide in Billy because not only is uh, uh, Billy, her, you know, her new lover, but Adam is the one who killed Billy's daughter. So there are a multitude of reasons why Chelsea can't really reveal her feelings about Adam uh, with Billy. And therefore, we don't really see that much of it as an audience. So I really appreciated just being able to hear Chelsea talk about her relationship with Adam. And while she's doing so... Billy and Victoria are having their own moment together. They are bonding. They are, in a lot of ways, kind of rehashing the their relationship from the good uh, all the way to the bad and looking at it through new eyes. And I tell you, I, just in the same way that I was feeling uh, Adam and Chelsea, I, I really was feeling Billy and this recast and Victoria. I actually really do like the new Billy. He'll probably be on the show for 20 years and I'll still call him the new Billy. But I, I do like the way uh, he's portrayed this this version of Billy. It was it was kind of funny, though, to hear him talk about how uh, he used to be a gambler and a philanderer, and I don't see that at all. I could not imagine that in a million years. There's nothing about that actor to me that plays as playboy. Uh, but I do like this actor. I do like what he's bringing to the table. I like him with our Victoria. I think they are a very good couple and it matches, maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it wouldn't be the most exciting in the world, but I think it matches in a, in a, in a totally new and unique way than Billy and Victoria matched before. So I'm kind of hoping that they get back together and it sort of looks like they might. So I'm feeling that. I'm feeling uh, Adam and Chelsea with this version of Adam. And I was feeling Adam a little bit more this week and really, really watching what his reactions are. And I know I've been critical of this storyline, but I do have to applaud um, the actor who's playing Adam because I, I think for one of the first times this week, I was watching his reactions more than what he was 
saying and I think it was because there was this created uh, quiet moment in the car and, and there's he has said a lot just through his first facial expressions and just through watching him and that can't be an, an easy task as an actor but the tone of the car scene took a, a, a turn. It started to feel uncomfortable because Adam wants desperately to reveal himself. He wants desperately to be with Chelsea and he's clearly driving her to talk more and more about Adam and he's probing and probing and probing and she maybe starts to just feel uncomfortable like it was too many questions and it's maybe dredging up memories to her where she, that she was that she's trying to put past her because she's trying to move on with Billy and the way that Adam was phrasing the questions did sort of make Chelsea feel like all of a sudden she had to defend her relationship with Billy to a stranger and I think that made her feel more determined than ever to move forward with a marriage with Billy. And she comes home to the Abbott house. Billy comes from his, uh, his meeting with Victoria. And it seemed like the roles flipped a little bit at that point. Billy has been, has been hot to trot to set a wedding date. And now all of a sudden, not so much. He's had this bonding moment with Victoria. And, you know, it kind of makes him back off of the wedding plans a little bit. Whereas now Chelsea's had this conversation with um Adam, or, you know, yeah, with Adam, and she, you know, realizes that maybe she needs to just move forward, just move forward, and maybe that will help make those feelings go away. So the roles switched a little bit. Enter Sage. Sage comes in and she starts following up on the groundwork that Adam has already built. And I, again, appreciated Sage in this scene because the way she was talking with Chelsea, it didn't come off to me as having an agenda, it, even though she does. It came off to me as just trying to kind of get to know Chelsea and to, to try to talk to her and connect with her. And even though Sage always has this coldness about her, she gets Chelsea to kind of admit that she's not as sure as she wants everyone to think about this marriage to Billy. And Sage reveals a little bit about uh, her relationship with Gabriel and says, you know, she is not able to move on with Gabriel because of someone else that she used to love. And Chelsea really connects in with that. And she starts to question herself in this decision uh, to marry uh, Billy. And from the previews of next week's uh, show, we have a scene where Chelsea and Billy are coming together and they're both saying at the same time, maybe we need to postpone the wedding. So it has been um, a, a, a successful stunt on Adam's part. And in fact, Adam comes down after Chelsea's had that conversation with Sage and uh, thinking that maybe it didn't work out, maybe he wasn't successful, and Sage tells him, yeah, think again. So I'm sure that we're going to start to see Chelsea and Billy uh, pulling apart and really creating a space for Adam to fit in there. Now, I don't know how the secret's going to come out I've, I, about his identity. We've we, I'm, we've you know talked about it a million different ways. The interesting development this week 
uh, is that Avery is involved in a, uh, a foundation, the Better Days Foundation, which Joe, uh, apparently the Better Days Foundation, was started by Constance, and Gabriel Bingham was very, very involved in the company. Now that Constance has passed away, uh, Joe is going to be taking over the foundation, and Avery just needs to get some signatures from Gabriel Bingham. Now... She had this very strange meeting. Um, in fact, Nick was there too. It was Nick and Avery and Gabriel, and a Avery's trying to get, you know, trying to get his signature for these documents. And Gabriel doesn't even recognize the Better Days Foundation. He doesn't even know what it is. Whereas he's been, you know, Gabriel's been involved in this foundation a lot. He should know what it is. <laughs> it should be obvious. And Avery just gets this weird vibe off of him, like how. How does he not know what this charity is? And furthermore, it was clear that that Gabriel couldn't wait to get the heck out of there. He was like, yeah, what do you need me to sign? Blah, blah, blah. Just sign it and leave. Like, he didn't want to have anything to do with any of it. It's getting too close to what his secret is. And Avery and Nick do have a moment later where they both realize that this guy's weird. And Nick, um, who has, by the way, just had a, a lovely scene uh, with Gabriel talking about the fact that Nick did sleep with, with Sage. Uh, Gabriel's wife. Uh, but Nick also is identifying that I don't even know. I really don't know this guy. I don't know him. I mean, and less and less, he's starting to look like the person I used to know every day. Avery goes back to her office and she's holding an old document in her hand with an old version of Gabriel's signature, presumably. And then she's holding the new version of the document uh, with Gabriel's new signature. And she starts to notice that the signatures don't match. What do you know? I I I'm blown away by this development because do you mean to tell me? That the very first thing that Adam didn't learn to do was to sign Gabriel's name? I would have thought <laughs> that learning how to sign the name of the person that you're impersonating would have been in, like, the Gabriel Bingham Con Game 101 class. What is Victor up to? Just, I feel like so many storylines are becoming so entangled and so intense at the same time. And I don't know where they're crossing over, if they're crossing over. I don't know how to make heads or tails of what Victor's big plan is. He mysteriously pulled Brash and Sassy's dupe of Hex uh, fragrance from the market. So he's withdrawn uh, that that competition. And he, at the, especially at the very end of last week's show, has announced to Jack and Phyllis that he would like to buy Jabot. And then he's having, uh, you know, a meeting with Victoria later and looking at the portfolio of Jabot. So he's thinking he's going to get this company Lucky for Jack, Jack realizes immediately. I loved the scene, the very end of the scene where where uh, Victor offers a buy Jabot. Jack realizes immediately that Victor is setting him up for something. Thank goodness. Because <laughs> for Jack to just walk blindly into whatever's coming his way, 
whatever it is, is going to make me sad. <laughs> so Jack at least realizes Victor's up to something, and maybe he can uh, put the boot to it. I don't know. Uh, there was a, uh, a scene where Jack sits down, and uh, he's starting to think about his life and especially his involvement with Kelly and what role he has played in the way her life is gone. At this point in the story, uh, Jack thinks that Kelly's fled bail or, you know, jump bail, fled the country. And, oh my gosh, did I drive her to this? And there's a wonderful scene uh, where we see a visit from John's ghost. It really has been a while since we've seen that. Um, And uh, have you noticed, by the way, that Jerry Douglas never changes? Looks exactly the same today as the day I started watching this show. (laughs) It was um, it was good to see him, certainly. And and, um, yeah, I think it's good to see. Jack having that opportunity to to talk about his father and to his father and 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 for us to get that perspective on what's going on in Jack's mind and John of course reassures Jack about the decisions he's made you know regarding Kelly just as Phyllis is off on her own going to see Victor busts in like what are you up to Victor and Victor reveal you know actually Phyllis is saying you probably you know where Kelly is I know you do and Victor reveals, oh yes, I do know where Kelly is. I'm sorry to tell you, she's dead. Kelly Andrews is dead of an apparent suicide, and I even conveniently happen to have the morgue photo to prove it. Well, (laughs) good on you, Victor. I mean, we know as the audience, we're not buying this at all, but oddly, I tell you, looking at that morgue photo was shocking, to me, it was gruesome to me. And I, I don't know why. Did you have that reaction or or is it just me? I mean, um, you know, there are like moments of Y&R that I remember throughout the 20 years of watching where it's just like things that just stick in my head is like, whoa. I mean, I'm, of course, I always go back to thinking about uh, the, the, the shot of Brad Carlton trapped under the ice. To me, that was, oh, you know, when, when you actually see a character dead. And even though I'm not Kelly's biggest fan, that thinking of her in a morgue line there was just, it was so shocking to me. And I'm curious to know how you felt uh, looking at that. Now, uh, Phyllis takes the photo. This photo is making its rounds. I mean, this is the evidence, really, a morgue photo. Who does? Who even takes a morgue photo? That's what they do to identify the body? Some some uh, undertaker just does a little uh, snappy with his, with his cell phone, takes a little quick, maybe a selfie too, and then emails it to Victor? Is that how this works? It's so insensitive. So insensitive. Phyllis is shocked that Kelly is dead, but she believes it, eats it right up, and takes the photo to Jack to deliver the news to him that Kelly is dead. Naturally, Jack doesn't believe it, but Phyllis has the photo to prove it. And can you imagine everything that Jack must have been feeling looking at that photo of her? I don't even know why anybody would want to look at it, Uh, but I would never want to see that. Never. Uh, But 
Uh, he's just had this reassuring from his conversation with his father that uh, everything's you know fine that that you know he didn't he did not have a role in this Kelly's responsible for her own actions and now looking at her dead just must have been so horrible just so absolutely horrible now meanwhile back at the ranch Victor is just relishing he's talking to I think this is the scene where he's talking to Victoria and um, thinking about how he's going to take over take over Jabot. I mean, he got that company out of Jack's claws once. Jack finally, after years and years and years and years, was able to get Jabot back uh, after uh, Victor tricked him. And now Victor thinks he's going to trick him twice. Victor is just so confident. And he says, I think, I don't know if it was to Victoria or Nikki, but he says something about how Jack Abbott he will, he, there will be a day where Jack Abbott would beg for my help and I will give it to him in exchange for everything he owns. <laughs> so what is that? What is that? I mean, uh, somehow uh, Jabot is going to be, it must become unviable. What, how is, how on earth? I mean, the only other thing I could think is if somehow um, Victor is involved in the Austin documentary thing and perhaps wanted this documentary to come out so that it would expose Jabot, make the company worthless, and have Jack come and beg for uh, the, 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 to, for Victor to buy it, even though Jack would never do that. But then again, I don't know how Kelly would play into that. What's the point of Kelly? So I, I'm, I don't know. What are your theories? What What is Victor's freaking plan here? And uh, t tell me, please, because I'm so lost. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how Kelly would fit into any of that. Uh, we all know she's not dead, but. Uh, Jack and Phyllis are at the athletic club and Jack sees Stitch off in the distance laughing and knows, oh, he must not know his sister's dead yet. So Jack tells Stitch, oh, come over here. Gotta tell you something. Your sister's dead. Oh, and here's the photo evidence. How, again, what a horrible moment having to look at this photo of your dead sister in the middle of the athletic club and Phyllis standing back there saying anything about it. Of all people, if I were Stitch, I would have I wanted to just punch Phyllis right in her face. For Phyllis to say one word about Kelly and her death and her life or anything, it's, it's completely inappropriate. In fact, Phil, you know, Stitch is wondering, how? How did this happen? And Phyllis is the one that tells Stitch that Kelly took her own life. So rude. She should have kept her mouth shut. She should have let Jack handle it. She was the last person to deliver that news to Stitch, who was the one person who loved Kelly and supported her and tried to be there for her. And Stitch's reaction was like totally heartfelt and emotional and insane and he's just like my poor sister he kept talking and, and using the phrase my poor sister and I really connected in with that because if this uh was true if Kelly had committed suicide it's the ultimate tragic end to a tragic life what has been good about Kelly's life that we know about her. You tell me. Not a single thing except for her relationship with Jack. And for it to have ended like that, I just really connected in 
with Stitch in that moment. And nobody was going to comfort him. Uh, I, I mean, it was these people. It was Jack and Phyllis that contributed to this. And even Victoria tries to come in and tries to talk to him and comfort him. And he lashes out at her. You know, it was your husband and your husband's brother that drove her to this. You used her. You people used her for what you could get out of her. And then you cast her aside. I just, oh, wow. His reaction, Stitch's reaction was just amazing. And I have not been a big Stitch fan. And for some reason, I was just feeling it. I mean, Stitch was, he, you know, the one person who cared about Kelly and protected her. And, ugh, I felt so bad for him in that moment. Now, I'm sure that Abby's going to be there to try to pick up the pieces after Stitch kind of uh, shrugs Victoria aside and just says, I need my time. I mean, poor Victoria. Watching her try to say the right thing but have absolutely nothing to, to, to know what to say. I'm sure it took her right back to the night of Delia's death and wanting to comfort her, her mate over a tragic loss and not being able to, to find the words, not knowing what to say, what to do. And she was trying so hard. She just kept trying to say things, I think, rather than just being there and listening, which was probably the mistake that she made. But she eventually just says, I want to be here for you. And she leaves and then has to look back and have Abby, Abby say, oh, I'll look after him. I'll look after your man. Don't worry. And Victoria like turns around before leaving the door and sees Abby there trying to comfort Stitch, watching a known adulterer. A known cheater stand there and, and confront her man. Ooh, uh-uh. And you could tell Victoria was bothered by it. She was definitely bothered by it. Um, ugh, ugh. Why does he trust Abby anyway? I don't care about Abby and Stitch. I don't want a relationship between Abby and Stitch. The only fire was Stitch and Ashley. Abby, I, you know what? I like her better than I used to. I can handle her, but she has not met her match. Um, I'm sorry. It's not Stitch. There's no fire there for me. But needless to say, she takes him upstairs. He's gotten all drunk. And when Stitch gets drunk, he needs a shower. <laughs> so he is taking off his clothes and in a drunken state reveals, oh, no, I don't need your help. The last time somebody helped me into the shower, I ended up cheating on Victoria. <laughs> Abby's like stun faced. What? What? She questions him about it and starts mouthing off about what skanky hoe bag did you have an affair with on my with my sister? And Stitch just he has no choice. He has to reveal. Yeah, you might want to watch what you're saying about that skanky hoe bag. Oh, she's your mother. Whoa, man, the last we left off, Neil was just going to the police station to say he wanted to confess to what happened behind the wheel of the car. And then next thing we know, Neil's already confessed. He's already had a bail hearing and apparently Victor is paying for his attorney. What? Did I miss something? I was shocked by how quick that moved. I, mean, I think it was 
must have been like last Thursday's show or Wednesday or something when he was doing the reveal and then YNR didn't do anything about it for the rest of the of the week and now this week it's just picked up whoa I'm shocked I I guess I guess he got out on bail due to Victor's excellent attorney uh I, Nikki still needs an attorney because even though uh Neil has claimed responsibility Nikki still lied about it and Christine hears it she's feeling fierce toward both both of them. She, in her mind, thinks that, yes, Neil is guilty and I'm going to get him, but Nikki is just as guilty for trying to cover up the truth. And I agree. I do agree with Chris. The problem is, and the thing I don't really agree with, is that I'm, I'm sorry to say, I feel strongly that Christine should not be prosecuting anyone. She's not unbiased, she's not in the right state of mind, can a prosecutor even really be the attorney and the plaintiff at the same time? Is that legal? I don't know. I I understand where Chris is coming from, and this week we had the heartbreaking reveal where she tells Paul why she's so vehement uh, about both of, uh, about what she's doing, and it's because not only did she lose the baby, but she lost the chance that she could ever have a baby. There was complications, um, and I, I don't, I don't know. There was complications, and she's not able to have children anymore. And I do empathize with her. I, I can't imagine how that must feel. It, it must be Christine entering some kind of new reality where at least it's always been an option for her and now it's not. But then again, this is a soap opera, so never say never. Um, so I, I feel bad for her. I also, I feel bad for everybody in this situation. I feel bad for Nikki. I feel bad for Neil. Um, ugh. Oh, really, really good scene where uh, Neil's out on bail. Hillary's sneaking around. She's sniffing around wanting to know what's going on, clearly still caring about this family. And she is listening as Neil's having a conversation with Paul and Christine. And she catches Neil just before leaving the police station. And she says to him, you know what? Why not just, uh, I tell you what, you don't have to go down for this. I will lie to help you. I will tell everybody that you are so distraught about this and that and we'll make it go away. I'll lie to help get you out of this. And Neil was not having it. Awesome moment where he just looked her in the face and thought, oh, you're you're you you want to help me? I think what you're actually worried about is not getting as much money as you can out of our divorce settlement. And you know what? Hillary, it's almost worth it. Me going to jail to make sure you don't get anything. You don't get a dime of my money. I loved that scene. That was excellent. Now, Neil goes back to the athletic club, and even though he's got Victor's high-priced attorney, guess who has offered to take his case? Leslie. I mean, surely that's a good idea. She's someone who cares about him and actually feels emotionally vested in making sure that he doesn't go to jail. It was nice to see Leslie. Um, I don't know what this means as far as her being back on the show or not back on the show. I, don't, I have absolutely no idea how long uh, her stay is for. I didn't even know she was coming back. 
I knew nothing about that. It was just like, oh, okay, Leslie, all right, makes sense. So, I mean, I, I assume she's going to be there representing uh, Neil throughout this. I'm looking forward to seeing a confrontation between Leslie and Hillary because I think Leslie's going to chew in to Hillary and Hillary's going to know that Leslie's right. I mean, uh, Leslie still at least loved Neil. She heard him too, but she did kind of pass Neil off to Hillary, hoping that it would be okay and leaving him in her care. And, and Hillary, no matter what, did wrong. She dogged Neil. No matter what Neil did, no matter what her love with Devon was, Hillary dogged Neil. And I can't wait to see Leslie get in there and give some comeuppance. But... We saw after the scene where Hillary offered to lie for Neil, um, we saw her going to the coffee house, clearly having followed the new assistant district attorney who is going to be, I assume, assisting Chris with this case. Unless he's taking the case and I'm wrong about the prosecution. I could totally be wrong. Um, maybe he's spearheading it. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about all that. But anyway, um, Hillary bumps in, bumps into this new AD at the coffee house. She's clearly kind of stalking him or whatever. And I don't know exactly what her plan is going to be to help with Neil, but it's kind of clear that whatever it is, Hillary's going to pull some strings, do a little of this, do a little of that, and contribute significantly to getting Neil off the hook. And thus we begin Hillary's redemption story. Very, very interesting conversation between Kane and Lauren this week. Interesting and completely unexpected. Kane has gone to Michael's office because he wants to talk about um, possibly doing a coup at Jabot. But he runs into Lauren, who's in the middle of planning this romantic moment with Michael, and Kane kind of awkwardly interrupts it. But Lauren is like, no, 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 let's talk, let's talk. And they start to talk and connect and Something that I had never thought of was the the connection, the cancer connection that they have here. Kane has been through having a spouse with cancer and the fight and the ultimate victory. And this is something that Lauren's going through currently. And it makes total sense to me that they would be having this conversation and connecting in their extended family. So, I mean, yeah, I was like, whoa, YNR, awesome. Thank you for like making that connection that I never would have made. Now, Michael didn't appreciate it quite as much. Uh, he had a conversation with Kane, and Kane made the mistake of being presumptuous about talking openly about Michael's cancer. And Michael is, has kept this very uh, tightly secret, and he doesn't appreciate other people talking about his disease. And I understand that. I 100% understand where Michael was coming from. At the same time, um, I, I felt like Michael kind of snapped at Kane, where I would rather see maybe Michael developing a friendship with Kane. I mean, I, I, where we don't normally see these characters interacting, I thought, well, gosh, you know, Michael could use a good friend, and Kane is a good, stable guy. He's not going to need Michael's friendship as a means to a legal end. Everybody else in Michael's life needs, 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 needs. Needs. It's always been that way. Michael has become the stable one, and everybody else around him is needing of him. Kane wouldn't be that. Kane could just be a good guy. 
And I think that would be interesting. Now, when Cain leaves, uh, Michael and Lauren have a very sad moment where she wants to pick up where she left off with this romantic evening or romantic sexing that she had planned. But Michael is just like not feeling it. He's not in the mood. He's just had chemotherapy and he erupts at her and tells her that he can't do it. And even though Michael has, he's, he's tried so, so hard to force things to be the same, that the cancer wasn't going to change anything in his life. And now he's coming to the realization that there, there's actually no way it wouldn't change him. And there's really no way it wouldn't change them. Okay, how about we read some comments? Um, Bobby on Facebook says, Sharon is threatening to disclose the fact that Nick broke a girl's neck and Victor covered it up. I'm reading online that people are saying this is a made-up story by the writers to move this storyline along, but I kind of remember that a brown-eyed brunette girl back in the mid-90s was wearing a neck brace. Nick was talking to her at the coffee house and she was very sweet. Am I remembering correctly? I don't know, Bobby, and I thought I'd toss this out there for the YNR chatters and see if anybody else picks up on that. I, I don't really remember a neck brace. I mean, there's so few people that I feel like I remember that were uh, in Nick's life. I mean, I don't know if the only one I remember is like Amy, so I don't, I don't know, but I think that's really interesting, and obviously I would prefer if YNR was picking up on even a little seed of something uh, from the past. I'd rather it be that than something that's just storyline-driven, but prob I think my reaction was just assuming that it was something storyline-driven. I don't even know when it would have happened. Um... Silvana left a voicemail that made just uh, something I never really thought about, about uh, the Nick and Sage relationship. And she said it beautifully. She says, Nick embodies all of the same qualities for Sage as Gabriel did. Nick is the Gabriel that Sage could have. The Gabriel that Sage could love and that could love her. And I just thought that was such a beautiful point. I do think that Sage is feeling for Nick. I think she I think she's experiencing uh, reciprocal love in her mind for the first time. I don't think she's necessarily trying to project onto him, but kind of the thing that Silvana was talking about and that sort of made a connection for me was, you know, if Sage is sort of projecting her feelings for Gabriel onto Nick, in the same way that Chelsea is kind of projecting her feelings for Adam onto Billy, then that creates a really interesting connection and makes that bonding moment between the two women even more significant. I never would have thought of that on my own. Great point. Um, <laughs> Katie on Facebook says, What is it with these rich people not knowing how to fill up a gas tank? <laughs> that did make me laugh. <laughs> I, I, I would think that you would be able to know, uh, whatever, it was, uh, it was obviously Adam trying to make that work. Um, Connor, uh, called in and left a voicemail and reminded me of a little something that we've all conveniently forgot. Connor was talking about the night of Delia's death. And we remember, if you do remember, I certainly remember, that there was a brief scene during that whole sequence, and I think it, I honestly think they only showed it once, of Nikki 
Nikki driving. And that never got picked back up. There was always this sort of question mark in the back of my mind. Uh, well, I always believed Adam didn't do it. I, I From the moment one believed that Adam didn't do it. Uh, and maybe that was just me being partial. I don't know. But, you know, there was that seed of doubt. Like, well, Nikki was there too. And over the years, I think, or not years, but over the months, um, and the twists and turns that the storyline has taken, I've thought different people may possibly have been involved. But that's certainly something significant. And now seeing Nikki involved in that car accident, there's definitely a connection there. Uh, I, or, 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 I don't know, there's a possibility of a connection there. I wish we'd get to the bottom of the deal uh, murder there, there this week a couple different people mentioned it you know that you know I think Sage said something to Adam about uh, not having enough uh, uh, not being enough of a man to come back and take responsibility for killing a little girl and I just I don't want that to be the truth I want to get to the bottom of this I want to know who did it and I want it not to be Adam I just don't see how we're ever going to progress to accepting Adam and folding him back into the mix in the future if he killed this child. I mean, the second he come, this comes out, he's going to jail. So we have to get there sooner or later. Um, I will also mention that Connor has a theory that Avery has something uh, to do with what's going on with the Austin storyline. So I'm going to kind of keep that in, uh, in the back of my mind as I'm watching throughout the course of the week, because certainly um, Avery would have a reason to, to want to, uh, ha, you know, to have revenge on Austin. I, Austin, I got to try to connect the dots on that throughout the week. Uh, Amanda on Facebook says, I'm still getting caught up, but I think the person Victor is meeting with in the confessional booth is Austin. I don't know why I believe it, but I just do. I actually read that comment from Amanda uh, early in the week, and it I watched it thinking about that this week. I still, I tell ya, I still can't help thinking about this the twin, the Jack twin thing that Victor's meeting in the confessional booth with a Jack twin. It just clicked with me. I don't understand why Jack would have slept with Kelly the Valentine's night when it was so clear that what he wanted was to get back with Phyllis. The look of disdain on his face as he was sleeping with Kelly, uh, not to mention I did start to notice some some outfit changes. Uh, I just, I that makes sense to me. I mean, of, I don't know why, but at the same time, I've got to open myself up to possibility that it could be someone else and I, 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 I was wondering if it's possible that Victor's somehow working with Austin to, uh, on this documentary to, to, to kind of expose Jack and get the company, but I mean, ultimately Victor's motivation is twofold. I think Victor does want, he wouldn't mind having the company, but the real thing is Victor wants Jack to lose. He wants to win. I mean, uh, Victor saved Jack's life. I think he ultimately doesn't want to harm Jack, but he certainly wants to one-up him. Uh, Gina on Facebook says a big thank you to the new writers of YNR for the return of Ghost John Abbott. I've missed him so. I, you know, I, I probably um, am going way too long, but I did want to uh, say I was thinking this week because it's been so long since we've seen John's ghost, and I very much enjoyed it too, Gina, seeing John. Um, but I, I, I was watching and thinking, you know. 
what do we make of this? What do we make of the fact that Jack sees John's ghost? Is he actually, does, does Jack believe that he is seeing John? Does he believe that John is there? Is, is Jack viewing it as, you know, a, 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 a spirit? Um, does Jack know cognitively that he is speaking to John's spirit and it is just being represented to us as the audience uh, in a physical way so that we can see that. I mean, I, I, I just, it's something I haven't thought about in a while, but it is, it is interesting, you know, that they bring him back on in this capacity and that he's, he is a ghost, John. It's worth, I think, taking a, a second look at, at what that really means. What, what is Jack really seeing? What is he really doing? And maybe you can, you guys can leave me a comment and let me know what, how you interpret that. Uh, Ariel left a voicemail at two, two things. Uh, she makes a point that was really good, saying, Why is anyone trusting Victor's information on Kelly? Um, no one is going out of their way to confirm that Kelly is actually dead or alive. They're just taking the word of people who didn't even care about her. So true. Why is no one fact-checking this? If I was Stitch, I would want to know. And nobody's asking where that morgue photo came from. You just, you just run into two people in a restaurant who happen to have a morgue photo of your dead sister and you just believe it. I mean, there is, that's certainly a, a, a leap there. But uh, the question that Ariel asked that I wanted to toss out to the crowd um, is, did you guys get the feeling that Lauren and Kane were being chem tested? That their little interaction together might be a chemistry test for a potential relationship. Now, it's kind of funny, and I'm just really glad that Ariel brought that up because I thought that too, and I felt immediately ashamed of myself, like, because uh, they're talking, and I'm feeling it, and I'm like, Lauren and Kane, ooh, that seems naughty. I mean, for kind of loud, her husband's got cancer. I immediately felt awful. Like, oh my gosh, I cannot even be thinking that or feeling that. So I'm ashamed to say I just sort of feel it. But then I snapped out and I was like, no, no, I love Michael and Lauren and, and Michael needs her support. But I, I do wonder, first of all, if all of you guys kind of wondered that too. Um, but I, I guess um, my larger question is, is there any chance that even if there is not anything going on between Lauren or Kane, uh, Lauren and Kane, or anything ever going to go on between Lauren and Kane, I wonder if there's any chance that Michael's going to perceive it as something going on between Lauren and Kane. I think it was a good week. I, maybe I'm just, I'm sort of slowing down. I've had a crazy last couple of weeks and um, life is sort of slowing down and I feel like I'm really able to like sit back and zone into my YNR and really think about it and really connect some dots. And so I probably am talking forever, but I, I enjoyed it. I really, I'm, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling YNR right now and I'm looking forward to hearing what you guys have to say. Thank you. Thank you for feeding back. I can't tell you how much it really does mean to me to know that you're there and to know that you 
care. <laughs> um, and I believe you do. It's like I posted last week's YNR chat, like I literally like maybe two or three hours later than usual. <laughs> and I, I, everybody's like, where are you? Where are you? So it's almost like sometimes my, uh, my reliability works against me, but it's, but it's nice to know that you care. So I, I appreciate that. And, um, I appreciate you and I hope that you continue to leave me your comments. Uh, you can do so in a couple of different ways. Um, I love listening to voicemails. I love hearing your voice. Uh, my voicemail number is area code 309-588-4569. I think you get three minutes if you call the uh, the voicemail. But if you go to yrchat.com, you can also leave a voicemail just using your computer through there. And then I think it's like a minute and a half or something. I don't have any control over how the lengths are. But you can leave a voicemail there. Um, <clears throat> you can also leave a comment on yrchat.com. And you can find... Facebook, uh, Twitter, and YouTube. And don't forget, if the video is ever late um, uh, or, or what, or if I don't get it on my website, just go to YouTube. Just type in Allie's YNR Chat. The video will be there. Um, and I think the podcast is always on iTunes if you're listening to that. Um, so I, uh, if anything ever happens, I'll, I'll let you guys know through all of those channels. But um, I think that's it. I, I really love you, and I hope you have a good week planned. It's spring. Yay, I'm wearing my yellow shirt today. It's a good day if I'm wearing yellow because it's my favorite color. <laughs> so everybody have a good week, and I'll see you next time. Bye.